The content presented in this podcast is solely for educational purposes and should not be used as medical advice to diagnose, manage, or treat any health conditions. If you or someone you know has a condition or disease discussed in this podcast, we would encourage you to create and implement a care plan specific to your needs under the supervision of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of experts in the field of fetal medicine and should not be interpreted as the standard of care. Wow, thanks for kicking it off with a loud thump. Thump, thump, thump. Okay, ready? Yes, I'm ready. Hey, Woommates. Welcome back to the News Womb. This is Aaron Moise. And this is Ken Moise. And we have now made it through TTTS, or twin-twin transfusion. We talked about selective intrauterine growth restriction, or SIUGR. Mm -hmm. And Ramesh was kind enough to talk to us about TAPS. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to mash it all together and do all the different ways TTTS can present with each of those. Right. They don't always read the book. It's never pure. These are all the ones that are not normal. So what, we're gonna call these unicorns. These are all the unicorns. Twin, twin unicorns. Twin, twinning unicorns. I hear unicorns coming. Oh my gosh! So let's start by reviewing the classic Quintero staging for twin-to-twin transfusions. Ah uh, yes, the infamous Quintero staging. First reported in 1999 in a very prominent journal, the American Journal of Perinatology, but accepted pretty much throughout the world as a way to talk between one doc and another about what they're seeing. So to review, stage one is polyhydramnios in one sac, more than eight centimeters. Europeans use 10 centimeters, by the way, and less than two centimeters in the little baby sac the donor baby sac. That's stage one, but we see bladders in both babies. Stage two is we can no longer visualize a bladder in the smaller baby, the donor baby. Stage three is divided into stage 3D for donors, stage 3R for recipient, or stage 3DR. And I think there's 62 different combinations because we look at the ductus venosus, the umbilical vein, and the umbilical artery. No, the MCA is not part of the original quinteral staging. So you can have abnormalities in any one of those three vessels in one baby, the other baby, or both babies. So that's the D, R, or D, R. (laughs) And that's what we think about that. Lena has strong feelings about that. She does. And in stage four is typically a hydropic baby. Uh, Typically, it's the recipient baby that has ascites or is in cardiac failure. In stage five, one or both babies are dead. So that's your Quintero staging that still survives today. So this was kind of our first standardized method of staging twin twin like you said, so that doctors can kind of communicate one to the other of what they're seeing. Yeah, and as we've talked about several times in this podcast, it's not like cancer staging. You don't go from stage one to two to three to four. You can skip stages, or you can have a normal ultrasound two weeks ago and present with stage three at the next ultrasound. So don't think of staging in the quinteral system as a progression, more as just a description of what's going on. It gives us some sort of objective way to talk to a doctor who's referring us to say, oh, how bad is this? And did you look at all these blood vessels? Did you measure the fluid? And then kind of give us an idea of how sick these babies could be. 
So have there been any other staging systems proposed aside from Quintero's? Yeah, the two I know of is the Cincinnati staging system, which took into account some of the cardiac findings on echocardiogram in the recipient twin, because we know the recipient twin can go into congestive heart failure and show signs of that. So that can upstage a quintero stage to a higher stage based on the Cincinnati system. And CHOP also had a staging system that included some additional factors looking at cardiac failure in the recipient. But the truth is those two systems haven't been shown to be advantageous to the old quintero system, and most people have not chosen to use those in most cases. So we're kind of stuck with Quintero for describing twin-twin. And in fact, many of the statistics on survival still use the Quintero staging system to decide different survival rates for different presentations. So let's talk about an example now. Okay. We're not going to talk about G's and P's because... No G's, no P's. Always a difficult one, but we have a patient. She's <laughs> pregnant with twins. And she's at 20 weeks gestation. So we've talked about how we can't measure AFI in twins because you right. can't get four quadrants. So we only use MVPs or maximum vertical pockets. Some people call them a DVP or deepest vertical pocket. So hers are 10 centimeters in one twin sac and one centimeter in the other twin sac. And the smaller twin has a bladder, but the cord Doppler, the UA cord Doppler, has absent in diastolic flow. What stage is this? Yeah, so this one didn't read the book, right? Because we already said if you have an abnormal umbilical artery doppler, that puts you in a stage three. So she would be a 3D for donor, right? But it's got a bladder, so it kind of skipped over stage. Right, so at first glance, the poly and ollie, the 10 centimeters, one centimeter, and the smaller twin having a bladder, that right there, if you were to stop there, is stage, stage one. one. Yeah. But then that, it gets complicated after that. Right, because you have abnormal doppers that moves it up to stage 3D. Right. So most of us, because you kind of skipped a stage, would call this atypical 3D. So that's kind of the name the Japanese, I think, coined this. And some of their data actually shows up to a fourfold increased risk for death in that smaller baby because of that cord doppler. So let's try another combination permutation. What about twin-twin, TTTS, and SIGR? Right. So we've done a podcast on SIGR, and as you know, there are different definitions, at least a 20 to 25% difference in weight, and the smaller baby being less than 10th percentile with an abdominal circumference of less than 10th percentile. So this is kind of a mixed picture. You've got the fluid discrepancies, right? Do you have to have too much fluid in one sac, 8 to 10, no fluid in the other sac? So the IUGR could cause less fluid in the little sac, but you've got poly in the other sac to meet these criteria. And this can happen very commonly in twin-twin, where you've got your donor twin being smaller, maybe even more than half of cases. And we do know that in these cases, the chance for a donor demise... So the chance of taking two babies home markedly decreased, particularly if the weight discrepancy is more than 30%, and particularly if there's absent or reverse endostatic flow in the core Doppler, the umbilical artery Doppler of the little baby. So when we counsel these patients, we talk about a decreased chance to take home two babies because the little baby, as we talked about earlier, is sharing some cotyledons with the big baby. When you take those out with the laser, it's got a high likelihood of dying. But we still do laser, but we just counsel the patients a little differently in these cases that we have a much higher chance of only getting one baby. But remember, if we do the laser correctly, we do the Solomon technique, we're going to protect that big baby from any consequences of the death of the smaller baby. So still offer laser, but know that a little more complicated in the counseling as to the chance to take home two babies. So does the presence of poly and ollie make this an SIEGR with twin twin? Is that 
Yes, because if we exactly because if we had normal flu, let's say the bigger baby had a deepest pocket of five, and the little baby had less than one with an abnormal cord Doppler, that's more indicative of a SIUGR case like we talked about before, Mm -hmm. and not true twin twin. So we have to have poly in the bigger baby sac. Yeah. Okay. And so let's talk about twin twin with cardiac dysfunction in the bigger baby or the recipient twin, even though there's not a fluid discordance. Yeah, again, so they don't always read the book. So once you've looked at enough of these recipients, you begin to see cardiac changes. Some people do something called the TIE index, TEI index. It's not very useful, I find. I have had cardiologists teach me to look for two things that tell me this larger baby's having cardiac dysfunction. The first is just looking for tricuspid regurg. You normally see the regurg on the right side before the left. And the second is to look for fusion of the ENA waves on the tricuspid side. That tells us that there's less compliance in that right ventricle as the blood enters that right ventricle. And instead of having two distinct ENA waves, they fuse, and that's not a good sign. So the poly may not be impressive, but that heart's telling you it's struggling. And when you really see cardiac dysfunctions, when you look at the heart, and even as a perinatologist, you just see it's barely squeezing. You wonder how it has any cardiac output. In really advanced stages, that baby may have decreased blood flow to its kidneys, and you may not see the poly that you typically would expect. But you look at the heart and you go, man, this heart's in trouble. It's not an underlying structural defect, but it's got to be twin-twin, even though we don't have a classic eight-centimeter pocket of fluid. So I would do a laser in those cases with cardiac dysfunction and other indicative signs of twin-twin. And so we've talked about monitoring during twin pregnancies, and traditionally, monochoriotic twins get recommended to have an echocard- a formal echocardiogram yes. one time at, at what gestational age? Is it 20 weeks? Well, 20 weeks is typically what... Okay, what, at 20 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you can see the hearts better at 20 weeks. And sometimes the perinatologists do this, and sometimes they send them to a cardiologist to have a formal echo with a cardiologist. I think it depends on how good you see the structures. But there is a higher incidence of cardiac anomalies in monochorionic twins for structural anomalies. So you want to look for that. And I think I just saw a paper today where when you have SIUGR, you have a much higher incidence of cardiac anomalies, particularly VSDs, in the smaller twins. So you want to be sure you got normal cardiac anatomy. Now here's the last thing. When there's cardiac dysfunction, that recipient twin, you'll sometimes see reverse flow in the pulmonary artery. It actually goes backwards. On a three-vessel view, the colors are the same. They should be opposite, right? And that tells you that the blood's going backwards through the pulmonary artery, probably because of pulmonary stenosis. Those babies have to have an echo later on because they're at significant risk for pulmonary stenosis after delivery and may need a balloon valvoplasty. So cardiac dysfunction recipients got to be assessed during all these cases and be looking for that pulmonary stenosis and reverse flow in the pulmonary artery when you've got recipient cardiomyopathy in these cases. So the cardiac dysfunction that in this case scenario, is that something that is typically only picked up on that 20-week echo? Or, I mean, like you said, sometimes you just see it as soon as you put the ultrasound probe down. You just can tell. I think think of the echo more as to look for structural problems. I think you can, I think most perinatologists can look at function pretty well just by eyeballing it, measuring the, looking for tricuspid regurgs, looking at the ENA wave fusion. But the reality is that when you start seeing reverse flow in the pulmonary artery or pulmonary stenosis as measured by peak velocities, that's a problem. You're going to have to get a cardiologist involved later on. And clearly that baby may have a ductal dependent lesion when it's born. So it should be born at tertiary care center because it may need a valvoplasty after it's born. Okay, time to make Ramesh proud. So let's talk about TTTS with TAPS. 
right? So Ramesh did a nice job of going over taps, just spontaneous taps without twin twin, but you can get taps with twin twin. So maybe two to 8% of cases, depending on what definition you use. If you use his more liberal definition that he gave of a difference of 0.5 in the multiples of the median between the two MCA peak systolic velocities, it could be as high as 15% are complicated by taps. As he talked about in his podcast, for me to have taps, it's not just a discrepancy between the MCAs, but that starry, starry night. You like that, huh? It's Don McLean's. Starry liver. It's starry liver. We call it starry, starry night because it's Don McLean's song. <laughs> not sponsored. Or, <laughs> or the really thickened placenta. The echogenic placenta is kind of pathognomonic for, but you would still do a laser to correct both the TTS and the TAPS, right? And you do a Solomon technique in both. But here's a key point. When that recipient is plethoric, so let's say it has an MCA peak systolic velocity of 0.6. So it's got thick stuff moving through its arteries. Look at the lower legs. We have seen several cases, and we were part of a case series where recipients have thrombosed off their legs in utero. I asked you if this ever happened, and you told me no. It does happen. I said, seen it. But, but I asked, why don't we see more blood clots in utero? Well, they're rare. but like we talked about how strokes are usually like a ischemic, not hemorrhagic. Right. But in this case, the blood is really thick. And so it seems to affect the blood flow to the lower legs. And you can see thrombosis to the lower legs. So is it more of like a, almost like a sickle cell type? Exactly. Versus exactly. like a true sludging. clot. Yeah, yeah, sludging. Yeah, yeah. Sludging. <laughs> It's sludging, it is. And it's interesting, when you look at it on ultrasound, you'll see it. So you, again, look at that recipient with a really low MCA in this kind of scenario we just posted. And you look at the leg and it's got these like blisters on it, bullseye on the lower leg below the clot. And you can use Doppler flow to look at the blood flow in the leg and it just stops on the femoral artery. And what's interesting is when you put the scope in, so we always make it a habit of looking at the extremities in the recipient twin especially to look for this. And especially you should look for this if you have this really low MCA in the recipient. And when you look at the leg, you can actually see the demarcation of the color of how white the lower leg looks and then how pink it is above the clot. So why do we document this? Well, it's a natural occurring phenomenon in these plethoric babies. But I know of one lawsuit where they blame the laser on the formation of the clot when it was a pre-existing condition, if you would. And so we like to document it with pictures before we start the laser. But you can find it on ultrasound if you look carefully enough. But again, it's these babies that are recipients with very low MCAs. Look at the lower extremities. For some reason, in the case series reported, there's a propensity to the right lower leg. Oh, we we looked this up one we'll time. We to look up the anatomy of this. Yeah, I think it, it has, has some something doing. to do. Yeah, with the branching, the mm-hmm. arterial or venous branching. It's the venous branching. The internal iliac vein crosses over the femoral artery there mm-hmm. on the right side, and because of that, it may impinge on the flow in the right femoral artery or common iliac artery and femoral artery that may cause it to be at higher risk. But whatever reason, I've seen it in arms. I've seen a couple of GI thromboses in these babies. But right lower leg seems to be the most common in these plethoric babies. So go look for that. And especially at the time of laser, look for it before you start the laser, just to keep yourself out of trouble. But also an important take home that it the pathophysiology is different than an average DVT in like an adult. Absolutely. Yeah. It's based on sludging or 
Lack just of flow lack versus of flow a because, true clot formation. Yeah, exactly. Or a hypercoagulable state. And these babies, unfortunately, when they come out of this liquid environment that's warm, this kind of shrivels up and you end up having an amputation. This leg can't be saved. It's been compromised for a long period of time. So, all right. Okay, let's harken back to a previous podcast. Right. A couple episodes ago, where you mentioned that twin twin is almost unheard of in monoamniotic twins or momo twins. Is that really true? Well, because they're sharing a placenta. They are, but first of all, monoamniotic twins, as we talked about, pretty rare. One in 10,000 pregnancies or 5% of all monochorionic twins. So we're starting out with a low number, right? Because this isn't representing. Are these in the same bed? Is this? They're not in the same bed. They're in the same, in the bedroom. same bed. They're in the same bedroom. Same bedroom. They're in bunk beds. Bunk beds. It's probably about two and a half times less common compared to other monochorionic twins, but it does occur. The problem is you can't diagnose it, right? They're in the same sac. So how do you get polynolly? Yeah. <laughs> There is no polyolite. What you see they is just, just even each other a out. lot of poly, right? <laughs> so you only have two ways to diagnose it. One is you might not see a bladder in one of the twins, particularly if it's smaller, synonymous with a donor twin. Or you might see Doppler changes that are different inside the twins. The, the reason we think they don't get TTS very often is because the cords are typically very close together. They have big anastomoses between the two. And so they share blood back and forth pretty easily. And so we think it kind of bounces. So the majority of the cases are stage one and they don't progress. So there is data to suggest that a large percentage of these are stage ones and they just stay with poly and the babies don't get into trouble despite looking at bladders and looking at dopers and all. Because those vessels are so big, they're so close together, as we talked about before with proximate cords, the survival rate's much lower when you try to laser these because you just can't sort out the connections very well. And they're often very big and the cords are very close together. So although you can try a laser if you truly had advanced twin-twin and monoamniotic twins realize the loss rate is going to be much higher because they're big vessels and they're close together. Okay. Wrapping it up. Wrapping it up. Last thought. How do we diagnose twin-twin with a spontaneous septostomy, not an iatrogenic, and how does that even happen? Yeah, great question. So you would think that, you know, anybody who's tried to tear membranes when a baby delivers what we call in-call, they're very difficult to tear, right? But in some rare cases... Somebody pokes a finger through it or a toe <laughs> through it or something happens and you get a common amniotic Some cavity. Of these kids have like a shiv in there with yeah, them. That's right. <laughs> they came out of jail and they got a little knife there. So maybe they bite it with their teeth that go. they don't have. I don't they know. They don't have. But you can get, and I've seen cases, just a few, where we document in the first trimester two sacs, very thin membrane, monochorionic twins, and then later on they're in the same sac with tangled quartz. Without any intervention, Nobody's no needles have been stuck. No CVS, okay. nothing. So it's pretty rare. But again, you're back to kind of monoamniotic twins. So how are you going to diagnose twin-twin? And the patient's going to say, no, no, no. I have a first trimester. Ask her for her little picture on her phone that she probably keeps from the first trimester. And you'll see the two sacs. And you go, oh, you did have two sacs, but now you have one. And so again, you're back to monoamniotic twins. You're going to have to look at bladder differences. Poly is going to be in one sac. Doppler differences to tell if you need to do twin-twin. This will be a little different because the cords will be separate, even though they're in the same sac. So you probably can successfully do a laser in this case, even though they're all in the same sac. But you're going to have to deal with the issue of tangled cords because they're swimming around each other, right? And trying to find your plane because your marker, your intertwin membrane marker, isn't right. there anymore. You don't ha- that's an excellent point. So you don't have an intertwin membrane to use as a marker. So you're going to have to kind of see where the two cords are, assume that somewhere in the middle is where the vascular equator should be, know that... You don't have a stuck donor to tell you what the lie is to know where that membrane is going to be. So 
a little more difficult, but probably these chords are going to be further apart than monoamniotic twins. They're just going to look like monoamniotic twins because they're in the same sac and they got tangled chords. And you have to manage that later the same way with the tangled chord issue. All right. Well, anything else to add, Dr. Mouiz? Well, I think those are some of the weirdness we see. Some the, of our unicorns. You, the unicorns we see. The message is that everybody doesn't read the Quintero book and go stage one, stage two, stage three. You're going to see different pictures. Just like the placentas all look different when you get inside with a scope and you see different fingerprints. The clinical presentation, you have to kind of step back and go, okay, we know they're identical twins. They're monochorionic. The fluids are disparate. Now what's going on and what kind of curveball they're throwing at me, whether it's TAPS or IUGR, spontaneous septostomy or whatever. Just kind of look at the big picture and try to figure it out. Sometimes a little harder than others. We get a lot of patients sent to our center sort of prematurely, which we think is fine because we want to make an early diagnosis, who people think have twin-twin that turn out to have SIUGR. And, and remember, that laser is not a good treatment for that because you have unequal placenta shares like we talked about. So you have to kind of sort out SIUGR from twin-twin. The key is got to have poly in one sac to be twin-twin. That's the difference. You got normal fluid and decreased fluid. You're probably looking at SIUGR and laser is not going to be the best therapy for that. Good talk. Good talk. <laughs> By unicorns. Well, mates, I think this herd of unicorns is <laughs> making over their the horizon. Whole, making their way over the horizon. Over the horizon. So that wraps us up for this evening. Thank you so much for tuning in. And this is Aaron Moise signing off. And this is Ken Moise. More to follow. See ya.